Good morning. How's everybody doing? Okay, wonderful. So, we've been doing this mini-series now for the last two weeks, and this week and a couple more weeks, of the time we're in, the perilous times we're in. And we're going to look at that today, and today we're going to look at it a little bit differently. Thank goodness. Don't you just hate bad news? I mean, okay, well, let's do a survey. How many of you in here love to hear bad news? Nobody? Even when it's about somebody else? Just checking. But we all like to hear good news. So let's look at what this can be as we look at the Scripture holistically in 1 Timothy chapter 3 because it does get better. The bad news in this scripture in Timothy is that we're in perilous times. We're in a time and closer and closer to the end of time. But again, that's not, and never would God write this to scare us, but to prepare us. And this morning as we were doing the music and I'm praying through that time, I'm thinking, you know, God, you really are calling the church to be the church, aren't you? Over the last bit, it's been a little too easy to play church. And sadly, we've gotten pretty good at it. In fact, in this scripture in Timothy, it says that one of the real dangers in this perilous last days, these perilous last days, is that there is a form of godliness, but no power. Sadly, I think that describes contemporary church in many ways. It's not supposed to be, but it is. So when we look at the list that Paul gives to Timothy about these last days and what we're going to encounter in the process... I'm going to read that for you, like say, get your Bible if you have it with you to First Timothy, or excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter three, or your phone. But realize this: that in the last days, difficult times will come. They're here now. Okay. Okay. So my scripture is up. Now you can. Don't put away your Bibles. Keep those. We like Bibles. They're good things. <laughs> I'm not sure what I got. Anyway. In these days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this scripture that I just mentioned earlier, holding to a form of godliness. What does that mean? holding to a form of godliness. We're we're holding on to traditions and habits and patterns that 
have maybe served well in the past, but are not sufficient for our current day. Because it says that the form of godliness spoken of here denies the power of the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit. Just take a moment. Just think about it. Because I'm not wanting us to start looking at the world critically and saying, That is everybody else. I really believe it's time for us to take a really hard look in the mirror. And in case you're wondering what the mirror looks like, it's this. What does this have to say about who I am and how I'm living in these last days? So let me remind you. In these perilous times that we're in, these last days, we, the church, every person who has been brought into the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are the witness, we are the help, and we are the hope for this world that's dying as it is. Nobody else is coming to the rescue, okay? Now, Jesus will return... Don't know when that is. He will return. He will make all things right. But in the meantime, he is here in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, accomplishing what the world needs now, which is Christ through us. Because that's where they're going to see him. And in case you haven't noticed, look around. They're not all here today. They're out there. They're in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in your places of commerce, in places of education. It's where we touch people every day in our life as we go through life. So give me uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13, please. You got that one? Paul says to Timothy, follow my teaching. Now listen to this carefully. One of the things that I'm concerned about in our world today, and we have to address it here in our place, is whether or not we actually take the word of God seriously. So Paul says to Timothy, follow my teaching and my conduct. Know my purpose, follow my faith, my long-suffering, my love, and patience. In case you don't know this, that is saying to any person, me, anybody else, who God has raised up as a leader within his body, the body of Christ, there is a standard by which our life is to be lived. And we are to be held accountable by that. Not with judgmental, cynical criticism. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And if myself or anybody else that God has raised up as a leader here cannot say that, then we're wrong. Now, what does that mean? Oh, you're just so perfect. You got No, that's not what that means. We, we have such a terrible misconception. We're still human beings living in this life, and the work of the Holy Spirit is going on in us, and we're being perfected until that day. But in that process, we are to be at such a place that you can look at us and follow us, and I would love to tell you we get it all right every time, but we don't. But that's when we have to confess and repent, just like anybody else. And if it involves somebody else, then it has to be addressed with that person or persons. Because this is one of the things that God has for us. I'm sorry. I keep messing it up. Go to the next verse, please, Kaylee. He says, look at my persecutions, my sufferings. Another thing is, if you're going to be raised up as a leader... You're going to have to experience some suffering. I'm sorry. That's the deal. Don't like it? Don't sign up. <clears throat> One of my trips to India, we were in a circle standing with some pastors. These guys are, you know, they're not really modest. So they're pulling their shirts up. Well, this is where I got shot. I was preaching one night, and I, when I raised my arm to make a point, the guy shot me through the window, and the bullet went in right here, and there's the scar. And this guy said, well, they, they ambushed me on the road, and they knifed me, and he pulls his shirt up and shows the knife wounds. Another guy said, yeah, they ambushed me, and they, they, they uh, hacked me with a machete, and so he pulls his shirt up, and he's showing all his wounds. I'm standing there thinking, I'm an American. These guys are not going to outdo me. I said, let me tell you guys something. I had a deacon talk really bad to me one time. <laughs> you can imagine what fun they had with that. The point is, just because our suffering isn't the same as it is for others in other countries doesn't mean there isn't suffering and persecution. The point is for us, when we stand for the reality of Christ, everybody is not going to approve of or support what we're doing because we must make sure that we do it in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And there will be opposition. More now than I've seen in my almost 50 years of ministry. <laughs> if, if I'm encouraging enlistment today, I'm not doing a very good job, am I? But it's true. He said, you know the suffering we went through. You know the persecution we went through. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. He says, my testimony is, yes, I went through that. Yes, it was difficult. But yes, my God is God. And he delivered me. And guess what? That promise is still true today. All of that is God working in such an amazing way that we can see our God and know That when we live godly, look at the verse, godly in Christ Jesus, we'll suffer persecution. 
Now, I'm going to make that really real as we get to the end of the service day because we got, we're going to go really practical, as you'll see. There's pushback. There's opposition. There's difficulty. It's all part of, sadly, what it means to truly live for Christ. Give me 13, please. (laughs) Those imposters, those guys we talked about in different verses here, get worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. That's why Paul says, follow me only as I follow Christ. That's why I would say to you, follow me only as I follow Christ. Any other leader who's a part of this church family would say to you the same thing. Follow us only as we follow Christ. If our attitude isn't Christ-like, then it's wrong. Doesn't matter who it is. Me, you, or anybody else. Because the raising up of leaders in our day today is an amazing thing that God is doing and wanting to do. And he always brings it back to He always brings it back to staying in the word. 14. But abide in the things which you have learned, been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. Again, Paul say, I'm your example. I'm your example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Any of us who stand up here and minister this word to you in any way minister the word, follow me as I follow Christ. It's always the standard. It's never changed. Sadly, some things have changed with church through the generations. When I came through many, many years ago, the training was, you're the pastor, you're the man, you do it all. And so many burned out trying to do that because it wasn't even biblical. The training now has shifted to because that wasn't working. Now the training for most postgraduate religious training is, well, you're really being trained as a CEO so you can run the business. Well, guess what? That's going to prove wrong too. So what is it? The Bible says that those of us who've been called out to serve and lead are to spend our time in the Word of God so we know the Word of God, so we can live the Word of God, so we can minister the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't minister to people. That's not what that's talking about. But it's saying our priority. Sometimes I find myself, Amy mentioned it earlier about being distracted. I'll get involved in so many projects and have so many things going on. So wait a minute, what's the most important thing here? And it's his word. And and I've been blessed. God has given me men, not the apostle Paul, other than through his writing, which I celebrate that, but men of God that I could have as examples to follow in the life that he's given me to live for him. 15. And this is where it gets really fun. Because he's talking to Timothy. He says, because as a baby, 
you have known the sacred writings as a baby. Guess when you start teaching your children the word of God? Let me help you with that. Tina and Lee are expecting. The baby is due when? August 3rd. You know when they start teaching their baby the word of God? Now. It's still in the... Listen, spirit, soul, and body. We are spirit first. The spirit of that precious child is already responding to mom and dad and what they're doing. That is the time to teach your children the word of God. And as I've said, and I'll continue to say, it never is do as I say, not as I do. Paul says, you follow my conduct. We would say, follow our conduct as long as we follow Christ. And look what happens with that scripture. It makes you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I would never know how to know Christ if it were not for the word of God and the word of God being ministered to my life. I would not even be saved today. But I am. (laughs) Praise God. Because someone else ministered the word of God to me and it transformed my life. 16, as we move on through this, because this is all part of this. This is, this is how this works. Knowing the word of God, but also knowing the word of God and then doing the word of God. Because realizing that it is just that. Different translations Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness. How many of you realize a loving father took the time over almost 2,000 years through 47 different writers to breathe out his word and it be collected in what we now have as the scripture, the Bible, the canonized scripture. And all of that was him expressing his love to us. That's how much he loves it. 66 love letters from God to us. Now, let me illustrate. Sheila and I have been married just over 50 years. The first, I, I met Sheila and almost immediately left for the Navy. So we would have had what people would consider a long distance relationship for two and a half years. And for those younger in the congregation, I know I'm speaking a foreign language. I apologize. We did not have cell phones. Oh, my God, we didn't have the Internet. 
We didn't have Twitter. Nothing. We had the old-fashioned dial-up-phone. And it wasn't cheap. And so phone calls were extremely rare. And so we practiced an old-fashioned relationship. We wrote letters. Put stamps on everything. (laughs) Crazy stuff. And so in the military, those who are here to serve military, there are two things that are really important. It's (laughs) mail call and when the eagle lands. That's payday for those who don't know. And so mail call It's when you'd line up outside the post office and they would hand your mail out alphabetically. And so I would, well, you know, you don't want to be too uncool. So just casually go down to the post office, hang out for a little bit, get my mail. Oh, letter from Sheila. Hmm. Take it back. Throw it in my bunk go back to work, finish my day, go eat my evening meal, come back, mm, letter from Sheila, go get my shower, get ready for bed, get in my bunk, hmm, let me open this up. Have you lost your ever-loving minds? <laughs> no. As soon as that letter hit my hand, I ripped it open because guess what? That letter was a revelation of a person that I was in love with and wanting to know better. Get the illustration? These letters are revelation of the person who loves me more than I could ever love him, and he wants to reveal himself to me through these pages of Scripture. Why are we not reading it? Why are we not studying it? And and I let me say quick to say I listen to a lot more scripture now. I, I just there's so many great Bible apps that I listen to all the time. But to have this precious gift given to us, and go back a little bit in my history, when I graduated high school, I was an unbeliever attending a little church in Ohio, and they had the practice back then that we have today. We give our graduates Bibles. And so they gave me a Bible. And when I left for the Navy, I still couldn't. It had to be the Holy Spirit, even though I wasn't saved. I took two things with me. I took my Bible that had been given to me by this little church. And I took a prayer book that one of the ladies in the church had given to me as well. I got to boot camp. Somebody stole my prayer book. Did you get that? (laughs) I didn't. It's a prayer book. Who's going to steal a prayer book? And then, wherever I went, I would have that Bible in my locker, and we'd just lay there. Kind of like a lot of Bibles in a lot of people's lives today. And then, (laughs) Jesus showed up. Remember it says the scripture will lead you to salvation? 
and a fellow by the name of Bob Harrington was preaching in our church in Charleston, Civil Square Baptist Church, and he explained the gospel, and the gospel revealed to me my need for salvation. I accepted Christ that day. I got the full package. Praise him that I did. Not that there's any other package, but just so you know. And I went back to the ship, and I opened my locker, and guess what I pulled out? The Bible that I kept with me. And here's the really cool part about that. It wasn't an expensive Bible. I've, said, I've shared this before. You know, the church was a small little church. They were doing the best they could. And so I, it was what would be called a pew Bible. And within months, it was falling apart. Because I was reading it and digesting it and studying it and getting to know it. And so I end up in um, Roosevelt Rose, Puerto Rico. And there's two missionaries there. And, and I explained to them my need. And so they took me to a bookstore and helped me pick out a Bible a, a little more quality that I could have. And, and then I, I wore that one out too. Because what, I'm different? No. Because I was so doggone hungry. I wanted to consume it. I wanted to make it a part of my life. And, and God did that. And he continues to do that. I mean, think about this. I've been at this over 50 years now. And it's not old. It is revelation. So when somebody says, well, I know all the Bible there is. Well, my hat's off to you, brother, because I've been at it for 50 years, and I still don't know it all in the nuances of the Scripture. And not only that, but to realize that this was God breathed. His expression to us. How much, how much he cares for us. But if we have it and we don't do it, then it says we live in a form of self-deception. I want to read these verses in Romans. Because this is, this is where I think we are. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, my worship isn't my singing. My worship is what? Giving my body, giving my life to him. And here's the kicker, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Last week, I got to tell you, I was truly impressed that we should have people come for prayer. This is where it gets real for us. Because every time you pray for something, it doesn't turn out exactly like you want it to be all the time. There's a couple components to that. I'm not trying to address them all. One is, God is really looking for some of his kids to grow up. And be mature in our relationship with him. Well, to do that, he will have to stretch us. And we also live in a world where deferred gratification isn't the norm. I want it. I want it now. I want it how I want it. 
So here we are. So last week we prayed for folks. I haven't talked to all of them, but I've talked to some of them. And to my understanding, nobody we prayed for last week got better. Physically, that is. Some felt better, emotionally, spiritually, but and some got worse. Because one of the things, one of the pushbacks for doing ministry like this is that God will use it often to stretch us and mature us. He's not, he's not angry at us. He's not mad at us. He just loves us, and he wants us to be the very best we can be. But in that process, if we're not careful, the enemy will come and laugh at us. And he'll cause us to doubt and even be afraid. And so I think it's for us as a church, it's a time to say, are we going to keep going forward with this? I'll never forget the church that I studied years ago, and they were just determined in their belief that God had called them to pray and people be healed. And the pastor said, we prayed for people every night for one solid year, and nobody got healed. And after a year of prayer, we had one person get healed of a headache. But we were determined we were going to stick this out. Well, I am believing for us as a church family, we have to stick this out. And also to remind us, as I did last week, the Matthew 7 passage where it says, we're not judging people. But while God is calling us to help people, he wants us to examine our own lives and make sure that we've taken care of the stuff that we know that Holy Spirit's revealed to us that needs to be gone from our lives. So we can be those channels of intercession, those places, those people of healing. Over the years, we've had people here who've been healed supernaturally. And this week, as I was praying about it, I said, Lord, it hurts my heart that we say, you know, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, whenever we had people healed. And through this last year, particularly last 18 months or so, it's like we've had people that have been touched and blessed, but have we really seen the healing? We've seen people go to the hospital, we've seen them come out, we've seen them get better. In fact, one of the ones you're praying for, and I have a card of thank you to the family, uh, church family today from Butch Bigham's family. Butch has been on the ventilator six weeks now. Been in the hospital seven weeks, been on the ventilator six. And so just a, an expression of gratitude to this church family for the prayers and the love uh, for Susan and for the rest of the family uh, that they're blessed to have us in their lives. We want to be that. We want to be that for people. But I want us to press forward and and. There, there are things that God wants to do and God wants to show and God wants to reveal. And I think we're in a time of the world where it's so necessary for the world to see we have a God who is God. And how all that plays out, I don't have the answers. I just know that we have a God who's God. And we have a God who loves us so much he wrote us 66 love letters. And in those love letters, he talks about how he wants us to be close to him and know him in ways we've never known him before. He talks about how he will touch us and heal us and minister to us. It's all right here. All the promises are here. And I truly believe God is calling this church family to step up and say, God, we want those promises. We want to walk this out. We want to live this every day. We want to honor you in how we live.